welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Bulldogs had the midweek off after the rain on Tuesday night against UT Martin. State taking two out of three this past weekend on the road at South Carolina. Charlie and I were here on Sunday for Sunday Coffee, and we were talking about the, winning the first two games. And so, Charlie Winfield, let's look back at Sunday just a tad. Bulldogs had an early lead, lost the lead in the ninth inning. Carolina ends up salvaging a game in that three-game series. I've calmed down now. It's taken me about four or five days to get calm, but uh, thank goodness Sims hid the shears because I was about to go out in the backyard and kill every azalea bush that I had. <laughs> well, I felt about the same way. All my pets left the house. I think they knew that I was not in a great mood that afternoon. Tough one. That was a tough one. And if you go back, probably the first one this year that you can put in that category You've had some games that you've lost, but I can't think of anything going against us at the end of a ball game like that where we haven't been able to find a way to pull it out. And you and I were talking about it during the game. This was a game on Sunday that was lost in the seventh inning on Saturday. Yeah, because you kick it around, makes it a what nine to six ball game, and then you feel like you've got to go to Landon Sims, and when you go to him on Saturday can't use him on Sunday. He just threw too much. And look, that's a big point of debate, a big point of talk on the message boards and the like is why didn't you bring Sims back out in that ball game? Look, if we can say anything about this coaching staff, they have protected their pitchers for the end run when it really matters. I didn't think there was any chance that they were going to go to Landon Sims. And the thing that was clear It was the plan all along not to go to him. They weren't going to make an emotional decision during the game to go against that and try to get him ready. And here's the thing. Arm injuries happen. I mean, they can happen early in the season. They can happen at any time just because of wear and tear. But we talked about it getting stretched out early in the season, cold weather. Sometimes a lot of those things lead to it. Hey, there are some teams in the SEC right now, and I'm not going to be specific right here, I think you can read between the lines. There are some teams out there that kind of wish they may probably have taken better care of some guys earlier on. You've you've seen some missed starts around the SEC in the past few weeks, and so that's one of the things in in today's world of baseball and also with a depth of a pitching staff that State has. Looking back, I understand why people are saying, why not land in Sims? But when you throw 34 pitches on Saturday, you're not coming back in the Sunday game. Let me make one more argument against not using Landon Sims. At the end of the day, your pitching didn't lose that ball game for you. No, it did not. It was too many guys left on base. It was inability to get a two-strike hit or a two-out hit. And so we didn't get the job done at the plate. Our pitching pitched us out of some jams, pitched us into a few, and then got us out of them. But we had opportunities. We just didn't take advantage. And, look, I'm not a guy that complains about umpiring, but if I were – I would be complaining vehemently about the second base umpire and the home plate umpire a week ago. But, look, at the same time, probably just time to to move on. But it does have a carryover till tonight because Scott Foxall ejected from that game in the Sunday game. So what it is, what is it for an assistant coach? You know, the head coach, what do you get? One or two? You get two of them before. You get two freebies and then you got to sit. An assistant coach or anyone other than the head coach, the first time, you've got to sit. And then you look back at Tuesday night, having that rain come through, not playing UT Martin on Tuesday night. What does that mean? That Scott Foxhall is not going to be in the dugout for tonight's game, the first game of the series against Missouri. And so I know we're playing Missouri. We'll talk about this later about, you know, Missouri's really struggling right now. But I tell you what, I want the guy who's calling my pitches 
in the dugout because he is an integral part of how you attack people. Now, the thing what, what happened on Sunday is Logan Tanner had gone through two and a half days of calling pitches for certain batters. So you just turn the, the pitch calling over to your catcher. But this is game one of a three-game series. And so that's one of the things to kind of look at tonight is, and see if any patterns arise that we're not used to because you're not going to have Scott Foxhall out there for Mississippi State. Well, here's the good news. You're not facing the 28 Yankees, right? I mean, this is Missouri that you're facing. And so, look, if you've got to miss Scott Foxhall, rather do it on Sunday than today. I'd rather get through a couple of games in the series before I lose him. But at the same time, if you can't get around this lineup, you've, you've got some issues. I'd like to know what he said. Because every time I've been around Scott Foxhall, I'm, I'm almost, like, shocked. I mean, if you told me to pick – 40 guys who are sitting in that dugout, who's the least likely to get tossed out of a game? I would have said Jason Wire, the trainer, gets thrown out before Scott Foxhall. Well, I thought you had a, a tweet that was interesting. You're talking about when the nicest guy in the whole stadium gets thrown out, you know something's wrong. And <laughs> Here's the other thing I will tell you. Um, Scott Foxhall wasn't cussing at an umpire. He just wasn't. That's not who he is. That's not how he acts. And, you know, that was kind of some of the talk on the – on the broadcast is, well, he must have used one of those. Words you, know, you kinda, don't use. <laughs> kind of like the Bull Durham scene, right? Uh, called him a, a word that, frankly, sports fans is a no-no. Um, that's not it with him. Not at all. And, of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. And so if you're looking for insurance on equipment, on your house, car, whatever. If you need insurance, they got it the best at Farm Bureau. Not just the best, but it's the best service. It's tremendous service. If you're looking for life insurance, go by and check them out at your local Farm Bureau office in each county or online at favorites.com and go with a home team at Farm Bureau. So Charlie and I, this week on the show, we, we got a good show for you. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Chris Stratton who is a pitcher right now with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Chris started his career in San Francisco, a first-round draft pick in 2012, Tupelo native, just an all-around great guy. Can't wait to talk to Chris about his journey in Major League Baseball. And then later in the show, we'll also talk to Todd Walker with the SEC Network. He, of course, he played at LSU back in the early 1990s. He has the call of the game tonight with Tom Hart, game one of this three-game series with Missouri. So that's what we've got on tap for the show for you so far. Hey, are we going to get to play tonight? You know, it rained Tuesday. Is the field playable? Oh, is that a not? Oh, is that it playable know. at a championship standard or whatever it is? I know what you're talking about. Women's golf. How about that? That's crazy, isn't it? Women's golf in the NCAA tournament. Our golf team made the regional in Baton Rouge. After playing really well down the stretch, they get all the way to the finals of the SEC tournament and a team that was really playing well. And so they have rain, and they rained out the entire tournament. They said the course was playable, but not to a air quote championship standard. And so what they did is they washed the entire tournament, and the top six seeds going into the tournament go to the next round to the national championships, the NCAA. Charlie, I tell you what, man, here I've, I do have a problem with that. And I've got a problem with the NCAA. One is not only just not playing the tournament because I understand if it's raining and the whole thing is a deluge and you, you can't play, that's one thing. But if it's playable, they played at Alex Box on Tuesday night. La Tech went down yeah, there. Yeah, it's about two miles away. But also, 
if the NCAA cared about women's golf, let's be honest, if they cared about women's golf, they'd have gotten shuttles and they'd have found somewhere to play. You know what I'm saying? They'd have traveled over to Houston. They could go up to Birmingham, play that sucker at Old Overton, play it at Shoal Creek. There are plenty of golf courses in America that will host a golf tournament. So now state ends its season in women's golf. There are plenty of courses within a one-tank load in one of your shuttle vans you could have played. But but the thing that was most harmful to me for the NCAA was to come out and say, yes, the course is playable, but, but we're not going to play. But not to a championship level. That's just – and so that kind of leads to the point. And then you think Ron Polk ever canceled a game because the field wasn't at a championship level? Well, Smoke Laval did against Ron Polk. What was 19, oh, 2002, yes. 2003 down in Baton Rouge? Nope, sorry, kind of wet. Head home. Anyway, well, that just kind of leads to, and I hate to, to take aim at the NCAA, and I guarantee in the next two or three weeks there's going to be something about hosting a regional that's going to have us on edge with the NCAA. I've been around Coach Polk too much. Everything I do right now. You don't mean to suggest that Ron Polk would question the integrity or judgment of the NCAA, do you? Well, here's the thing. I'm good at Photoshop, very proficient at Photoshop. And during this brief two-minute conversation, I think I'm going to design some kind of Christmas card from the NCAA and put it under Coach Polk's door. How about that? (laughs) So, hey, Charlie and I have a great show for you coming up. As we said, Chris Stratton's on the other side of the break. Chris, tremendous guy, great pitcher, had a great, unreal 2012 season as he aced for Mississippi State, of course. Had the big outing in Baton Rouge with 17 strikeouts. Got the final three outs after pitching earlier in the SEC tournament over in Hoover. Got the final three outs of that 2012 SEC tournament championship. And so we'll talk to Chris next, and then Todd Walker will join us as well. And once again, this all brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can find anywhere. Located in the Mississippi Delta in Itabina, Mississippi, you can find their great catfish fillets at many grocery stores in the southeast. Just look for the black and blue label that screams out, Heartland. And you can get that great Heartland catfish at some of the best restaurants. And this week, one of the best catfish houses in the South, the Ark in Riverside, Alabama, just off the banks of the Coosa River. I know a lot of you guys are making your plans right now for the SEC tournament trip over in Hoover in a couple weeks. So go ahead and block off some time. Head over on I-20 to Riverside. Enjoy some of that great catfish at the Ark. Yeah, they have steaks and other things on the menu. They're fantastic as well. But what they're known for is their great catfish. And they get it from our friends at Heartland Catfish. Now let's go to the phones to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're relief pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Tupelo native, former Bulldog, Chris Stratton joins us. And last year we talked to Lane Burroughs and Butch Thompson. And Charlie and I have kind of gone back and talked about that interview a good bit. And one of the things we talked about was when those guys came to Mississippi State, and we asked the question, who was the first guy you recruited? And Lane Burroughs just very quickly said Chris Stratton. And he says he saw you pitch in Oklahoma and said the first time he ever talked to you, he had already taken the state job. He was sitting outside the football stadium at Kansas State, and it was kind of a whirlwind about trying to get players in the boat 
at that time and kind of get everything going under John Cohen. It was kind of a frenzy pace on this side. How was that process for you of trying to figure out what you wanted to do? Because it was kind of late in the process, especially according to today's terms. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been a, a long time since I, I guess I've been in high school. So it tends to be even earlier now. But even even back then, I think that about your junior year would be when people were committing. I know guys are committing in like the eighth grade now, seventh grade. First off, Lane Burroughs and Butch Thompson, what great guys. Those two are gems. I think they're great for not only college baseball, but just good humans to be around. And like I said, I, I would do anything in the world for both of them. But yeah, Oklahoma, I, I don't even know if I pitched that great, to be honest with you. We had a decent little team, but you know, just being from a small town or just Mississippi in general, you don't really feel like you know, D1 is always your end goal. But, I mean, I would have been fine just going to play Juco. So, I, I, at the time, I don't think I realized how how good I was. But, uh, obviously, Lane saw something in me, so I'm glad that he did. Chris, it's interesting. We were talking to Brent Rooker the other day and talking about the path he took from being a 257 hitter as a freshman to winning the Triple Crown. We talk about Dakota Hudson. And we look at your numbers. You started a ton of games as a freshman pitched a lot all the way through, but that junior season looked like you just took everything to a different level and, and became a, a much, much better pitcher. I'm curious, what changed for you? Was it just development? Was it coaching? Was it maturity? What led you from being a guy who pitched a lot as a freshman to a guy who was a dominant junior? I think development, it was a huge part of it. And like I'll say again, Butch Thompson, when, when we got there freshman year, I, I think we had close to 22 or 23 new players on the team. So we were just kind of thrown in the fire, me and Kendall Graveman and Chad Gerardo. Uh, I mean, all those guys were just just young guys trying to trying to get some outs. And, man, I don't, I don't know if we were ready, but we were out there. Definitely got hit around a little bit. But, you know, you kind of learn what, what works and what doesn't. And I came out of high school, two-pitch guy. I was just a, a fastball curveball, and I kind of cleared my head out of the way to let my fastball come through and my curveball was a big 12-6 and I think an adjustment with that to, to be a little bit more linear to the plate and then Butch Thompson I always told him I didn't really want a slider because I always heard that people tended to have more you know Tommy John surgery was always on the table with especially with the usage of a slider so I kind of tried to steer away from it but the umpires really didn't call my curveball for a strike sometimes just because it was so big from the top of the zone to the bottom. So Butch was like, hey, you, you kind of need to get something that's that's a little smaller that, you know, tends to stay in the zone a little bit longer. So he goes, how about, how about you throw this cutter here? So he gave me gave me a grip. And uh, little did I know he was really giving me a slider grip, but he, he told me it was a cutter <laughs> and made me throw it like a cutter and in turn made, made it pretty good because – you know, it just kept that fastball mentality all the way to the end. But I didn't get that one until my sophomore year, and I kind of had a roller coaster sophomore year. I, my first year as a freshman, I felt like I did pretty good, and then late in games, just kind of ran out of gas and ended up giving some runs at the end of the game. And I wanted to take that big step forward, and my sophomore year was just like one game I'd be great, and the next game just not so good. And it was just all the inconsistency of that pitch. You know, sometimes it would move a lot like a slider, sometimes it would move like a cutter, and sometimes it wouldn't move a at all so that summer I went and played in the Cape and you know we just me and Bush talked about it and said hey you either need to go make this a slider and make it a great pitch or you just need to 
to get rid of it and let's try something else and ended up turning it into a slider and, you know, kind of pitched with it like that and ended up being my, my best pitch. And honestly, what got me drafted, just the ability to throw that one for a strike and in, the chase. So I, I kind of wish I still had that one in the bag. I'm getting a little older now and it's not quite as good as it used to be, but, but yeah, I think that that was the difference maker in the end. You talk about pitches that got you drafted I walked into the studio just a moment ago, and I've got an old Bob Carpenter scorebook, and I keep the scorebook of every game that I broadcast. And I pulled this one out from nine years ago, and you start talking about <laughs> big nights, and it's hard to believe it's been nine years ago. But I'm looking at a scorebook right now of Chris Stratton for Mississippi State, Kevin Gosman for LSU, a crowd of 7,072 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the thing I remember about that night, the opening night of SEC play, and there were at least 30 scouts in the stands, you struck out 17 that night. And that was just one of those special nights that Kevin Gosman struck out a ton. We got beaten 10 innings. But what do you remember about that night? Because, like I said, nine years later, I still remember it like it was yesterday. Just a special night. Just kind of the, the stars aligned and, eventually probably is what got me drafted where I was but yeah just you know Kevin Galsman was a huge name coming out of Colorado and you knew what kind of stuff he had and he had like the split change that he's even throwing now and I mean he's back to 98 and uh, just watching some video on him recently just you know coming across TV and stuff he, man he's really good but um, yeah I just remember it was going to be a fun fun matchup at the time Ben Bracewell was was starting non-conference games leading up to the conference play because he had just coming off he was coming off an injury with labrum i believe and they truly didn't know how long he'd be able to go so they said hey like both of y'all deserve to start we're just going to start ben and then you're just going to come in and finish the game so that's how my junior year started where i, I think that it actually that mentality when i came in to like you know just empty the tank i think i probably every outing i had was five innings plus out of the pen but I don't. I just think that attack mentality when I came out of the pen kind of translated over pretty well. But yeah, I just remember Mitch Slaughter being back there and just kept me focused. And I remember telling Coach Thompson after the game was over with, I, I don't really remember much that happened after like the third inning. You know, you just kind of get on cruise control. And Gosman was going so fast as well. I think he got like 14. So, I mean, we're just kind of going back and forth with each other. I really didn't have much time to just like, sit back and think about what was happening because I was running back out there but I just really didn't remember much from like the third inning to like the seventh or eighth inning uh, just because you know you're just going out there and just trying to execute your pitches and then come back in the dugout and and do it all over again so I don't know it's just it's just a lot of fun I don't think I really realized the magnitude of it until after the game I'm I'm icing with uh, Jason Wire who's still Dr. Wire who's still there as the athletic (laughs) trainer loving to death but, I mean, I don't think I'd thrown over probably 90 pitches. I think I threw, like, 130 pitches that night. Well, I was going to say something about this. How times have changed because you threw 135 pitches that, that night, 97 strikes, 135 and 97. Hey, you, you don't see guys throw 135 anymore. No, you don't. And, it, and big leagues, you definitely don't. I feel like it's tending to go on away from that. Even in college, I, I follow a lot with, with our team and – I know that the bullpen is awesome, uh, you know that. But that weekend rotation is great. 
you know, I'd love to see him go a little bit longer just because the, the former starter in me wants them to be uh, workhorses and stuff. But I understand when you got a pen like that, you kind of can lean on them a little heavier. Yeah, I, I just think <laughs> after the game, just icing with him. And he's like, uh, you know, you probably just made a lot of money tonight. Huh? And I said, what do, you, what do you mean? He says, I mean, there was a ton of people there. Like I said, I was, I guess, a little naive, just kind of going out there and just trying to win ball games to be safe. That's all I cared about. And at the end, I really wish I could have come back the next year because I knew we were going to be great. I knew we were going to have a great team because I've been with them those those three years and I knew they were going to make the College World Series. And I feel like they're just one piece away from actually winning the whole thing. So in the end, I hate that I couldn't couldn't be there to help see it all the way through. Chris, I'm curious. Bart and I love talking about old games and in years as they develop. And one of the things we've been talking about lately is the SEC baseball tournament. It was interesting. Mississippi State played South Carolina this past weekend, and they won the national championship in 10 and 11, and I think we're a combined one in four in the SEC tournament. You know, we won the tournament in 2012. What effect did that tournament have on us headed into the regional? I've always thought maybe winning that took a little bit out of us. It always does. Well, as you guys know, it's you know, the SEC is a gauntlet. So winning those games every weekend is already hard enough. But to win continuous games back to back to back, you know, each day, it takes a ton out of you. I believe it was in 12 when we won it. I think we were playing 12 o'clock games every day. Yep, sure um, were. Yep, and it was hot. Yeah. You, you pitched against LSU and may, may have been one of the hottest days that I can ever remember the ballpark. Man. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, the fact that I even remember that's at noon. I, man, I don't even remember, you know, what time we played three days ago. So I just remember it being being really hot. And Mitch Slaughter caught, I think, almost every game. I don't even know if Amirati ended up catching But I know that there was one point where he was running around the bases and, like, almost collapsed in the home <laughs> trying to score. But, uh, it, yeah, man, that was just some great times and some great memories. And, I just remember winning, winning the game, closing that one out. You know, Wes Bray, thank goodness he's uh, as big as he is. He kind of did like a human bridge over me to make sure I didn't get trampled in the in the pile. But like I said, just some, some great memories. And, I mean, still playing with Frazier today, who was part of that team. It's just awesome. Talking with Chris Stratton, former Bulldog, pitched here 2010 to 2012, a native of Tupelo. He's now pitching with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Hey, before we talk about – I want to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. But before I do that, you talk about how much that SEC tournament took out of you. You get ready for the NCAA Regional. Sanford had a dude named Brandon Miller, right fielder. I wonder if they found that ball. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, the hanging slider. Man, yeah. he, he hit that it's sucker. It's so funny because – so funny because I ended up – I believe I ended up playing with him – or playing against him at some point after that, and he's like the nicest guy. But yeah, I, I dude, those guys came out, and their approach was, we're not gonna let him get deep into any count. We're just gonna go up there and hack. And they did, and, man. And man, did they? That wasn't one of my favorite games. And I remember one of the kids. I think his last name was Irby. Uh, his little brother ended up going to pitch at state for a little bit, but he ended up getting me a little bit too. But yeah, that was Holder hadn't given up a run to the very last game of the season. You got Kendall, just as fiery as ever. And speaking of him, man, what a fun guy to watch right now. If guys aren't paying attention, I know it's late because it's in Seattle, but you just need to, time to look at what he's doing right now because he's 
finally got him a really good slider to go along with, uh, you know, 97 to 99 running net on you. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you that's the recipe for not a fun at bat. So I'm, I'm just so proud of him and uh, what he's been able to accomplish in his career. You know, just all the injuries and setbacks to finally find a, a role that suits him really well. I think he can pitch like that for a long time. So just so cool to see out of him. Toggle Chris Stratton in Pittsburgh right now with the Pirates. And you mentioned a moment ago having Adam Frazier on your ball club. Will Bednar's older brother, David, is on your staff. We talked a couple of weeks ago to Chris Young, who's the bullpen coach with the Chicago Cubs. And he said it's so funny because you've got the bullpen side-by-side there in Pittsburgh. And and he said, you know, it's almost like a Mississippi State reunion out there around the bullpens. So when you start talking about having Frazier and Bednar, do you think that – you know, makes you follow it even closer because you were talking about the bullpen a minute ago. I mean, you, I can tell that you keep up with what's going on. I mean, is it a situation of you walk in the clubhouse on a Sunday and say, hey, let me tell you, we just took the first two from South Carolina. We've got a big one today. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think Bedner keeps us on, on track pretty well because he's definitely following whenever his brother's playing. But, uh, you know, we got – to me, he's a bulldog. So, we, you know, we got three bulldogs in the – clubhouse and we're always uh, following along and asking if we saw what happened the night before but man Landon Sims uh, one of the guys that's here Howard he's a, a lefty reliever for us he uh he's from around the same area that Landon Sims is and said that he was he was one of the dudes coming out of high school so he he had already kind of known about him and too man what he's doing is, is special it's easy to do it every now and then but it's hard to be as consistent as that and go out and shove so like I said, hats off to him, and that, that bullpen has been uh, pretty special. I know it's pretty easy for Lamonas to have some faith in those guys. Chris, I want to ask you kind of a pitching question. One of the things that's interesting to me is I think back, and Bart was talking about your outing at LSU where it seems like you could have thrown all night. You just don't see that anymore. Even at the college level, you see guys, you know, you get through the fifth, and it's you know time to get somebody up and moving. And what's interesting about it is, at Mississippi State, you can say, well, that's because you've got a good bullpen. But Barton, I've noticed that from teams that don't have great bullpens. They're basically going to get five, maybe six innings out of a starter. And what's interesting, too, is that a lot of times these guys are just kind of cruising, and then all of a sudden it falls apart in a hurry. Uh, as you look at pitchers right now and the change in not going deep in games, what, what do you see? Is it this idea that they're max effort? Is it the way they've been trained to throw? What's going on in baseball now where guys just don't go as deep in games? To be honest with you, I think it's where this, the statistics are telling you that third time to the lineup is, you know, the batting averages go up. Uh, but to me, I feel like you got to use your eyes, you know. you got to look out there and see, hey, our guy's in complete control out there. You know, he's showing no signs of letting up. He's on the attack the whole time. you, you got to continue to let that guy ride. I mean, to get to 130 pitches, uh, no, not necessarily. But when a guy's get pulled after six innings and he's only thrown, you know, 90 pitches and he's literally uh, just been putting it to him the last, you know, four or five innings, I, I feel like you just kind of have to, to trust your eyes there. But I think a lot of that has to do with the, the big leagues. I know it kind of sets the standard for everybody else. And if you've seen over the past, I'd say, you know, three, four years, you know, starters aren't going deep anymore. The 200 inning mark for a, a starter is a rarity now. When it used to be like that's your benchmark, if you can get 200 innings, you can, you know, you're giving your team the best chance to win. Now today, the they're just asked to go out there and 
your five, your six, and let's turn it over to the bullpen. So for me, that's good because I'm in the bullpen now. I, I love to throw. So I feel like sometimes we're not really uh, using our eyes and we're just relying on the data, which is times, but, but also uh, can lead astray, I feel like. Chris, hey, I know you're getting ready for a ball game. I can hear the music in the background, sitting at the <laughs> sitting at the ballpark, PNC Park. Hey, that's one of my favorite ballparks. Is there a is there a place before we let you go? I mean, is there somewhere that that you like more than any other? Is it? And b- before we go, real quick, just quick question. Last year, you guys played in empty stadiums. How tough was that? How tough is it for a for a guy who's used to you? Know, you've got thirty thousand, forty thousand people there. How tough is it playing in a ballpark that's not at full capacity? It's tough, man. When we had the, I guess you call it the spring training 2.0, we were playing at our stadium and they, you know, MLB put a uh, crowd noise, like one throughout the league that you could use. And before that, man, you could hear a pin drop and <laughs> no adrenaline, you know, no crowd noise. You just kind of feel like you're, uh, I guess you're in spring training. Like you, there's not a whole lot uh, to get up for, but it's funny you actually say that because me and Bedner were talking about it the other day. You know, like when we get drafted, we get the ball. He came from a small school, like a D2 school here in the Pittsburgh area. He said, we get to pro ball. And, you know, I'm so excited to see all these people in the stands. He said, you guys get here and, you know, you you have 15,000 at your place and there's not even, you know, a thousand people here. I'm sure it's tough to get up for some games. That was a harsh reality at the very beginning of pro ball. Just not really having the crowd to draw your energy from. You kind of had to, to fake it a little bit. I definitely missed my time at, at State and being able to play in front of all those great fans. Hey, man, listen, we appreciate you. Proud of you. I know you'll follow the dogs just about every day. Every day? That's right. That's right. I appreciate you having me on, Bart. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it. And that's Chris Stratton, former Bulldog pitcher. Good luck tonight, Chris. And that conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. And once again, the Ark in Riverside, Alabama, the place to go if you're headed over for the SEC tournament in a couple weeks. They've got the best catfish you can have. Great catfish house in Riverside, Alabama at the Ark. So Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to Todd Walker of the SEC Network right after this. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back. Out of left field, presented by Farm Bureau. Well, great conversation with Chris Stratton just a moment ago. And now we have another interview set up with Todd Walker, who will have the call of the game tonight with the SEC Network. He'll be on the air with Tom Hart at 7.30 tonight on ESPNU. And this conversation brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Pleasing, located at Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence, Mississippi, it just doesn't get any better. It just does not get any better. Charlie, we're talking about earlier on about what we'll have on the grill, no doubt. Jalapeno cheddar. Yep, jalapeno cheddar tonight. Maybe some pineapple pork. That's my wife's favorite. That's the one that she wants me to cook every time. But I I'm, I just go with the old trusted, although I did have the blueberry maple last week. You did? The black pepper and cheddar is really good to me. The three cheese is good. It's rich but I love it. All the stuff they make at Country Pleasing, it just doesn't get any better. The product is phenomenal. It's a Mississippi company, something that you can be proud of in the state of Mississippi. And so next time you go to your local grocer, 
get country pleasing, please. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing. Well, Mississippi State and Missouri this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series tonight on ESPNU. Todd Walker will have the call along with Tom Hart. And, Todd, we appreciate you joining us and talking a little baseball with us here today. You're welcome. Looking forward to it. Ty, before we get into you know the gist of this weekend in SEC baseball and just kind of looking back at your career and how you ended up in the SEC, I mean, you're a California guy back in the early 1990s. How did you end up in Baton Rouge to play for LSU? Yeah, well, my dad works in the oil business, so we were in. Ba- I was born in Bakersfield, California, but we moved to Texas when I was in fourth grade and spent about a year, year and a half there. And then uh, I remember my dad saying, hey, would you, would you guys want to move near our grandparents, which was his parents that lived in Shreveport, Louisiana. So we said, no, no way. We love Texas. And next thing I know, we're in Louisiana. So that was uh, about fifth grade. So I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, basically from fifth grade on. And, of course, at that point, you either brought a Louisiana Tech bag to school or you brought an LSU bag to school. And I remember getting a, a letter from LSU my sophomore year in high school after I had hit a home run down at Alex Box Stadium uh, in a high school game and started talking to him and ended up in at LSU. But, it, you know, it clearly was one of the greatest times of my life. We won a national championship in 1993 and just a special, special time for me. Todd, what was it like coming in as a freshman? You're coming into a program that's won some championships and is playing at a high level. What's it like coming in as a freshman trying to fit into that program? Well, that's a loaded question and a great question because I came in on a 1991 national championship team. So LSU had won it for the first time, and I'm I'm walking in there in the fall of that year. And so all of a sudden we're in the basketball arena and they're announcing us as national champions, and I'm lifting my hand like I did something. And But it gave me a lot of motivation. You know, uh, I was I was saying, you know what, because you got to keep in mind, out of high school I was a third round – I mean, sorry, I was a – third string second baseman coming into LSU they had the two national champions Mike Neal and Keon Cook who had been on the team that won it all in front of me and I had a lot of people saying you're not you're never going to play there you're never going to play you got to go and I got drafted in the 51st round by the Texas Rangers and so everybody's saying you're not gonna get another chance to play pro ball you might as well sign and go well I just wanted to go to college and get the experience now I have a lot of thoughts on that a lot of opinions on kids going to college versus signing pro I love the college experience and you only get that once. So I'm glad that I did it. I go down there, and I remember my only thought was don't strike out. Like, put the ball in play somewhere. And I know that Mississippi State with Jake Gotro has that whole deal going on. I love it. It's the first time I've heard of anybody really focusing on the two-strike approach. And that's what I had. And so I popped a couple of homers, but I sprayed the ball around the park, hit for a high average. And next thing I know, I'm starting as a freshman at second base for the, you know, the reigning national championship team. Got three hits on opening night, and the rest was history. Well, Todd, I've got to ask you, following up on something you just said, and that is spraying it around the field, not striking out. Mississippi State, a little bit of a rarity in terms of focusing on keeping those strikeout numbers down. Is this a case of how kids are being developed at a young age, or is it a case of colleges starting to emulate what they see in professional baseball? I think both, but I, I think early on it depends on who your coach is, right? And a lot of times it's a parent, so you never know what you're going to get growing up. When you get to the levels where they know everybody is cognizant of what they're telling their kids, most of them are telling them, we got three swings to try to hit a home run, let's do it. It's okay if you strike out, let's hit 20 home runs and do the damage. There's other kid, there's, there's a very small portion now that still 
you know, live back when I lived, and that was you don't strike out. You, with two strikes, we're going to fight, and we're going to put the ball in play somewhere. There's too many situations with a guy on second and nobody out or a guy on third and less than two outs where you can't strike out. You've got to put the ball in play somewhere, but yet you see all these half swings and these takes on strike three where there's no fight. There's nothing there, and I just never believed in that, and I believe that you guys, the Mississippi State, is doing it right. Fight them. Doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna have the biggest home run numbers. Doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna transform into this this offensive powerhouse. But what it does mean is you're gonna get the small small runs in. The one run here, the one run there. We all know in the SEC, every every arm out there is pretty good, especially on the opening nights. And you need every run you can get. And so I just love the fight. I love the battle, especially in the scenarios I told you. But there's more. You know, we're just instead of instead of striking out, we put the ball in play, put some pressure on the defense make the pitcher think a little bit more instead of him gaining all this confidence by striking everybody out. And that's the approach I would do. And that's the way I did it for all my life. And we were taught that the two strike approach and fight nowadays, I think they've adopted, like you said, the, the major league approach. And that is even with two strikes and one and two, you're going to take a two Oh hack and we're going to try to hit it out of the ballpark and we strike out. That's okay. Because every now and then you're going to hit a home run, but that, you know, it just doesn't, I don't feel like you can win as many games that way. Talking with Todd Walker with the SEC Network. And, Todd, you played in the big leagues. And we just talked to Chris Stratton a moment ago with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he was just talking about going to the Cape between his sophomore and junior year and just kind of getting away from the grind of an SEC season and to go up and work on things. You played in the Cape as well. How big is having summer ball in the development of college players? Man, you are nailing the questions today. Here's the second thing in my life that I didn't want to strike out. The second thing that happened in my life is I went to the Cape after my freshman year, and I used a wood bat. And that was the first time. See, nowadays kids use wood bats at earlier ages, and I like it because, you know, it's a, it's a smaller sweet spot, and you can find the sweet spot a little quicker, a little better if you use that wood bat, you know, and BP and other things. So I went to the Cape, didn't hit very well. I mean, it was okay, 260 maybe. But I used that wood bat against pitchers throwing like they will in college, you know, with the metal. They're throwing 94, 95. Cape's got some high-level arms. And I go back to college at my sophomore year, and I felt like Hercules. I put that metal back in my hand. And, I and, it, and again, keep in mind, this was not the, the trampoline effect uh, metal that we had. We had just the old aluminum alloy drop twos, you know, drop threes. And so I felt Herculean when I got back to LSU as a sophomore. And all of a sudden, I went from 12 home runs to 22 home runs. And I credit all of that to going to the Cape and with the wood bat and, and making that adjustment and then finding the sweet spot a little more often, a little more consistent, and getting back to LSU and putting the metal back in my hand. Todd, kind of a follow-up to that, one of the things we also talked to Chris about was almost like the SEC players have a leg up. When you start going to ballparks, and, of course, it's terrible for you guys right now of having to broadcast remotely, but when you start going to some of these cathedrals that are built around the SEC, and I know you had the game in Arkansas last week, and, of course, the game is Starkville tonight, and, and you start seeing these guys at 18, 19, 20 years old playing in front of crowds in the five digits. And then all of a sudden they make their way to the big leagues. It just seems like playing in this league kind of sets you apart and gets you ready for the big leagues better than any other place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's no doubt if you play in this conference, you're 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 set up. Uh, I felt that way. It was you know they try to compare it to minor leagues. I, I thought it was it was like a good good triple A system. Double A, you've got some talented people, but I, I think about the pitching. There, there was a little more erratic in double A because you got some big arms, but they don't know how to pitch yet. 
where I feel like in the SEC, if you get on the mound for the most part, you know, you have an idea of how to throw. And so I, I feel like it's a comparable to AAA minor league baseball. So I, I felt like when I went to A-ball out of uh, college that, that I was prepared. Now you're using a wood again. And so you got to make that adjustment back to a wood bat and pro ball. But I felt like playing for LSU and playing at that high level, playing in front of all the crowds, getting a chance to play in Omaha twice, uh, and the expectations and everything that go along with it really prepared me for the next level. Coming into the season, Bart and I talked about that we might see some of the best pitching in terms of top to bottom in the SEC that we've ever seen. The shortened draft, kind of those compressed classes, the extra years of eligibility. And it was interesting, we were talking to Ben McDonald, because Ben, even though he's an old pitcher, he's talking about, hey, man, don't give up on those hitters. They're going to look pretty good, too. I'm kind of curious, as you look at it, where do you see kind of the pitching versus the hitting in the SEC this year? Well, it's kind of the, the, the typical progression year in and year out where pitching dominates early, and then right about now you start to see the hitting catch up because the weather gets warmer. they got a lot of at-bats under their belt. I always felt like the more you face a pitcher as a hitter, the more it becomes a hitter's advantage just because of the timing and, and the confidence levels and everything else that you got going on. And the confidence rises when the weather's better and the wind's blowing out. So I feel like it's both. I, I think the fifth five rounds in the draft last year, if you were a seventh-round pick out of college, you're still in college, for example. Uh, the transfer rule, the COVID, COVID guys, the, the fifth-year guys getting their year back, that type of thing has, has created this talent level at college that we've never seen before. So we still got a walk problem, I think, throughout the, the conference and throughout the country, and I have my, my opinions on that. But, but overall, I think the uh, talent level is much, much better. I think you're seeing a lot more uh, like teams can compete. Like, like outside of the Power Five conferences, those teams can compete with the, the teams in the Power Five conferences. So you might see some, some Cinderella's come through, which isn't ab- absolutely abnormal. Uh, Coastal Carolina won the whole thing in 2016. So it's not abnormal, but I think you're seeing more talent spread out throughout the country because of those reasons. But I think it's equal. I think, I think you're seeing better arms on the mound than you would have otherwise. And I'm seeing, I think you're seeing some, some, some better swings as well. Talking with Todd Walker with the SEC Network. All right, Todd, looking at this weekend, looking at tonight, your first game of the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, Mississippi State and Missouri. What's, what's your big storylines for Mississippi State coming down the stretch? My first one is watching Tanner Allen. I don't guess even before I had you guys last Sunday, I knew how good this kid was. I mean, you know, he's 100 and what, 130 some odd hits away from breaking Jake Mangum's record, which is best in the, in, in the history of the conference in the school. And so you're looking at a kid that's Jake Mangum-ish, you know, and, and I didn't know that. I don't guess until I started studying him. Uh, the kid can really play. And so I, I think the main storyline for Mississippi State is getting that offense going up top with Rowdy Jordan. Logan Tanner can swing the bat and flat-out play. You know what he told us? We had him on a Zoom call a little bit earlier. Logan Tanner said on the mound in high school he's throwing 99 miles an hour. <laughs> I didn't know he had that kind of arm. That's off the chart. Right, so that's yeah. why you get the sidearm stuff from home plate because there ain't too many people that can do that unless you've got that big of an arm. So I think we talked about what are the weaknesses in Mississippi State, and I think in, in, in Logan Tanner's own words, when there's a high energy level, they're hard to beat. I mean, you know, you just you just can't. It's going to be hard to beat. They're aware of the trap games. They said, you know, where where you can you can fall into a, a lull maybe this weekend just strictly on the record of Missouri you can take them for granted so they're aware of that and that's the main key and not losing games that you should win and so I think overall and it clearly goes without saying the staff the pitching staff both the starters and the relievers for Mississippi State are the best in the country uh and overall 
And so I think you can make an argument with the top line at Vanderbilt with Rocker and Lighter. But overall, the entire package that you get from the staff at Mississippi State is going to be hard to beat. And when you talk about baseball, it's all pitching. They talk about pitching and defense, but I played behind Pedro Martinez when he struck out 16 and, you know, let a few weak, weak ground balls and fly balls go out in the outfield and, and we win the game. So if you've got dominant pitching, you can win a baseball game and Mississippi State's the best in the country. Todd, we appreciate you taking your time. Look forward to seeing you tonight. Thank you. And that's Todd Walker of the SEC Network. That conversation brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 in Florence. Go by and just load up the truck with all your tailgating needs from the storefront at Country Meat Packers. And once again, our conversation brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Charlie and I will come back with a final word here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. Man, good stuff. Well, Chris Stratton said he was sitting on the fourth row behind home plate at PNC Park. Pirates playing later today. Man, what a great interview. Well, Chris is one of my favorites. I tell you what, a guy that just kind of persevered. He was thrown out there really before he was ready as a freshman. And then that junior year and we talked to Ty Walker a moment ago that development in the Cape and coming back that junior year at State was just kind of one for the ages where he was just a solid dominant Friday night guy so many things have been missed over this past year and a lot of these guys are benefiting from an extra year but I think a lot of players lost out not being able to go to the Cape and play last summer and that's one of the things that I think it's going to take us a few years to see but it is crazy how many times we talk to guys who are in the big leagues and we're always able to ask them the same question. Hey, you played in the Cape. What did that do for you? And never, ever has a player said, yeah, I mean, you know, didn't get that much out of it. Every single time they talk about it being critical to their development. Okay, Charlie, let's look at this weekend. Stayed in Missouri. This is one of those, and I hate to say it like this, where it's almost not fun this weekend from a situation of if you win, you're supposed to win. But if you get beat, uh-oh, because this is the weekend you have to win. When you start looking at an RPI over 100, that's what Missouri has. And I don't want to be careful right here. I don't want to disparage their program in any way. I'm not. But this is a weekend that you can't afford to lose. No, you can't at all. Look, this is a team that's lost eight straight conference games. They've lost 15 of the last 16 games they've played. There's no way to put a positive spin on that and say, hey, well, they're this close. Now, they are capable of beating good teams, and they're capable of beating some average teams. Look, they beat Texas A&M twice. They beat Georgia in a game, took them to extra innings in another. But it's a team the last two weeks swept by Alabama, swept by Tennessee. Typically, if they're going to play you close, it's going to be in the first game. I think this tonight's game, this Thursday game, is going to be really important. But it's if we are sitting here on Sunday morning and having a conversation about this, we will not be able to put a positive spin on anything less than a sweep. Now we're saying all this, watch us. Watch <laughs> us lose a game. Watch us lose a game and ruin our Sunday morning. Okay, let's look at the SEC right now. Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Florida, over on the eastern side, you've got Tennessee and Arkansas both tied at 17-7. and seven. They're leading the SEC right now. 
And then you got Vanderbilt, who had a wash on Sunday oh. against Alabama. And so that throws everybody off. That's the only rain out in the SEC this year. Kind of surprising came at Vanderbilt. State 16 and 8, a half game behind Vanderbilt. And so then you have Florida at 15 and 9. So State's a game ahead of Florida right now. So let's look at the SEC this weekend. Of course, we have the only Thursday series, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Missouri at State, that's tonight. 7.30 start Central Time on ESPN. I mean, what, what, 7.30. 7.30 is going to be a late night at the ballpark. So put you a pot of coffee on on your grill out there. We're not broadcasting a game tonight, so. I'm going to be in the lounge. Will you be in the lounge? I will be. Okay. Past my bedtime, apparently. What are you cooking? I got to figure out what. Well, I got to figure out what we're grilling. So I'll come over there and get some of what you've got. Arkansas, Tennessee tomorrow start their series. Georgia is at Florida. South Carolina at Kentucky. A and M and Auburn. Auburn and A and M. That's a that's a series to try to get yourself into the SEC tournament. Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. That series really changed a lot because you've got Hoagland, who's now lost for the season. Jack Leiter did not pitch last week. You wonder if he'll pitch this weekend. He's normally been the number two guy. That Nikhazy start for Ole Miss. Are they going to move him to Friday, or are they going to leave him in that middle game? I have no idea. I don't know what they'd do. I'd leave him in the middle. I would, too. There's no way I would move Doug Nikhazy out of that Saturday role. And then Alabama at LSU. Of course, State plays Alabama next weekend. Crimson Tide go to Baton Rouge this weekend. Alabama right now at 11-12 and 12 in the SEC. And right now kind of looking out, trying to get into the NCAA tournament. So that's kind of what you got going on this weekend around the SEC. And, of course, Charlie and I will be back for Sunday for Sunday Coffee, talking about all three games with Mississippi State and Missouri. That's a good thing about having the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series because when we get together on Sunday Coffee, we get a chance to talk about all three games. And so we'll have that for you. Once again, uh, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every county. The customer service is what sets them apart, and that's who I use with my insurance, and you should as well at Farm Bureau. So enjoyed it as always. Charlie, hey, good show today with Chris Stratton and Todd Walker. Yeah, great, guys. And, look, that's two guys that were really good college baseball players. Hey, look, Todd Walker's in the College Baseball Hall of Fame. He, uh, he knows what he's talking about. So until Sunday for Sunday Coffee, keep on subscribing. Keep on telling your friends about the podcast. I had a couple of folks last week send me a text that said, hey, I had no idea. I've gone back and listened to five or six shows. We've been binging on it, so we enjoyed. Appreciate you guys for kind of including us in your tweets and your texts and your emails about the show. And, hey, let's keep it on rolling through the baseball season as Mississippi State right now in the stretch run in the Southeastern Conference. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.